Back in August of 2010, there were a group of individuals that felt God's guidance to plant a church here in Stratford, Missouri, and they eventually named that church Harvest Hill. And this last August, Harvest Hill celebrated eight years of being together. So you can mark it on your calendars come August 2020. As Harvest Hill comes to 10 years, we're going to have a little shindig, get together and celebrate what God has been doing. Now, I don't know what all the uh, thoughts or dreams were that were, that were led uh, into establishing Harvest Hill here in Stratford. Um, you know, I can be like Jason, that I wasn't here in that point in time. Like some of y'all, I haven't been here as long as you, but I do believe that the idea was to plant a church that the gospel would be proclaimed not only in Stratford, but in Greene County, in the state of Missouri, into the United States, and throughout the world. Well, around the same time of August in 2010, there was another family in Illinois uh, that was feeling God's guidance to be a part of a ministry in Missouri. And what began eight years ago in the planting of Harvest Hill is getting ready to become uh, two years together as the Harvest Hill and Hurchin family of being on mission together. And as I was thinking about that th- this week, it just kind of amazed me. It has been almost two years uh, that we've been together. We're, we're rounding that corner. So eight years as a church, two years together as a ministry. And as we end year two, we begin to press on. Well, God has placed it on my heart and my prayers that we uh, be vigilant about what God is going to be doing in the future, where he is leading us and where he is taking us. And there's going to be some struggles. There's going to be some issues that are going to emerge. There's going to be some growing pains that we're going to have to go through. There's going to be some temptations uh, to not trust the Word of God and to not trust what God has planted us here to do. And because we're going to be facing these things as we go on, uh, God placed it on my heart that we should begin walking through the book of Joshua as they went through a journey to, a pro- to the promise. That's where we're going as Harvest Hill. Is a journey to the promise, the promise that God established His church and that He would build this church under the name of Jesus Christ and the authority that Jesus is the Son of the living God and what God wants to do through Harvest Hill. So starting today and for the unperceivable future, uh, we are going to be walking through Joshua. We'll take some breaks here and there as we come across like Easter and Christmas and things like that. But we're just going to be unpacking what God has to say so we can be ready for the mission and the promise to which God is leading us to. If you have your Bibles with you, you can make your way to the book of Joshua. It's in the Old Testament. It comes after Deuteronomy and before Judges. But as you make your way to Joshua, I would actually encourage you to make your way instead to Deuteronomy chapter 34, as we're going to be hitting just the the beginning of Joshua, but uh, dealing a lot more from passages in Deuteronomy chapter 34. To begin our series, the book of Joshua opens up in chapter 1, verse 1, says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. And as we're reading through the Bible, what this opening to the book of Joshua is meant to do is to connect this book and these events of this book to the first five books of the Bible, which are also known as the Pentateuch or Genesis through Deuteronomy. The opening of Joshua and the events in the book of Joshua are actually taking place going back to Deuteronomy and into Genesis chapter 12 and chapter 13. And the reason I want us to understand this is because as we walk through Joshua, we have to understand that the plan that God had for the Israelites and the plan that God had for Joshua was long before Joshua even started breathing on this planet. 
Just as the plan for Harvest Hill and the plan for you and me has been long set in place before we even started breathing on this planet. And God has a plan for all of us and for this church. And so it's going to be up to us to get on page or on task with God's plan. And there's four things I want us to take away this morning, just in that opening statement that after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that I want us to take away about being on God's mission. The first thing is God's mission is faithful to God's promises. The entering of the promised land wasn't Joshua or Moses' idea. Finding rest in the promised land, which is where Joshua was taking the Israelite people, wasn't even the Israelite people's idea. Matter of fact, they were hesitant to even do that. They weren't fully on board with God's plan for the last 40 years. The promised land wasn't even Abraham's idea. If you go back to Genesis chapter 12, when God calls Abraham out from his idolatrous father, the only reason that Abraham was told about this covenantal blessing is because Abraham's servants and Lot's servants ended up in a property dispute. And so Abraham, not knowing God's full plan, decided that he would let Lot pick uh, the land to which he wanted to go, and Lot saw the promised land. But God came to Abraham and told him this in Genesis chapter 13. He said, lift up your eyes and look from the place you are. Look northward and southward and eastward and westward for all the land you see I give to you and to your offspring forever. Abraham's plan was that I'm going to end this dispute between my servants and Lot's servants, between me and my nephew. God's plan was to deliver a covenantal blessing that would never fade. God's plan was to save his people. God's plan was to restore his people, to deliver his people, to set his people apart, which began here with Abraham. This was God's plan and promise. And as we come into the book of Joshua, this is what is, becoming, is being fulfilled as Joshua stands on the bank of the Jordan River and looks into the promised land with all of God's covenantal people behind him is that God is being faithful to his promise that he gave hundreds of years before Joshua was even there. Today, how this relates to us is we stand on the bank of the promise. The promise of Jesus Christ that if we have confessed Him as our Lord and Savior, He's coming back for us. And a lot of times we can get so uh, drawn in by the world that we forget this promise. I'm coming back soon and very soon. And with that promise, He tells us to be ready. And one thing that we can make ourselves ready for the mission that God has placed before us as people and as a church is we remain into the faithful promises of God, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is perfect. It will not change. It will never fade. It will always be relevant. And so we as God's people who go through seasons of change, periods of life change, our bodies change, one thing that will never change is the promises that God gives in His Word. And He will never contradict it. He will never go against it. Now we may hear it and we may wrestle with it, but the reality is this is truth. Matter of fact, Jesus said that I tell you that until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law that is the word of God until all is accomplished. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 55, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Of all the things in our life that are changing, 
This, God's word, God's promise will never change. Some of y'all were here when Harvest Hill began. And so you've seen a lot of change. You've seen people come and you've seen people go. For some of us here, we don't live in the same house that we were uh, last year or a couple years ago. There's been changes in your, in your life. For some of y'all with kids, you've noticed that in the last couple of years, your kids are now just as tall as you because things have changed. Or your grandkids are just as tall as you because things have changed. The last couple of years, some of y'all have changed jobs. Some of y'all have changed relationships. Your marriages have changed. And despite as much as we hate change, it's always happening. But God comes to us and he comes to Joshua in this moment as Joshua gets ready to fill the shoes of a legend in Moses. He says, look, my promise has not changed. It has already been set in place and I am inviting you to be a part of this. The word of God spoke everything into existence. God spoke and it happened. It was the word of God spoken to Moses, spoken to the Israelites that was leading them to this promise. It is the word of God that became flesh and dwelt among us. It is God's written word that we read in Scripture that was carried along by the Holy Spirit and breathed out by God. And so no matter what period of life we're in right now, no matter what difficulties we're finding, no matter what, what troubles or worries we become overwhelmed with, here's the promise that God gives us. I will not change. I will always be. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and I am always faithful to my word. What he's calling Joshua to do is what Moses had been doing for the last 40 years, and that's simply to trust the word of God no matter what happens. We're sometimes resistant, but sometimes we just need to understand in all of our change if we would just anchor ourselves to what God says. With that said, the word of God does not change, but here's a promise we have to understand, is that the word of God is meant to change us. So the word of God doesn't change, but it's meant to change us. For Moses, it changed him to a son of an idolater, to a leader, and for Abraham, it changed him from a son of idolater to a father of nations. For Moses, it changed him to a reluctant, doubtful shepherd, to a leader of nations. For Joshua, it changed him to a slave, to a soldier. For us, it changes us from a sinner to a saint. Because the word of God may never change, and it will never change, but the reality is what God wants to do through his word that never changes is to change us. As Moses came upon the Jordan River, he begins to deliver his farewell address. If you're in Deuteronomy chapter 34, jump back to a couple chapters to verse 31 or chapter 31. In verse 2 and 4, Moses is delivering his farewell address to Joshua and the Israelites, and he said to them, I'm 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to go out and come in. And the Lord has said to me, You shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to, to Sihon and Og and the kings of the Amorites and their land when he destroyed them. Verse 5, And the Lord will give them over to you 
And you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you, which was the word of God. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. This message here in Deuteronomy is so important that when you go to the opening of Joshua in chapter 1, God has to repeat it numerous times to Joshua, which Joshua has to repeat it to to the Israelite people. But jump with me to Deuteronomy chapter 34. Because one thing we need to understand is we always have to be returning and be reminded of the promises of God. The reality, Joshua is stepping into a man's shoes that had led Israel for the past 40 years. And this is what the Word of God, the unchanging Word of God says about Moses in chapter 34, verses 10 through 12. And there has not risen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. With this inscription here in the word of God that is eternal, we still have to keep in mind that Moses was a sinful individual just like us, but Moses was allowed to lead the Israelites in the promised land or wasn't allowed to lead the Israelites in the promised land because his sinful nature overcame his faith. And so God delivers the message to Moses previously in chapter 31 and here in 34 that you're not going, but I'm going to allow you, allow you to see it. But instead, Joshua is going to take the reins as the leader. Up to this point in Joshua chapter 1, Joshua had been following Moses, serving Moses, aiding Moses, helping Moses, working for and alongside Moses. And all of this was in preparation for what God was placing before Joshua to do to lead this group of power walkers to go into a land to conquer that was already inhabited by kings and armies. But the commission was, Joshua, you're going to do this. You're going to be about my mission. But to do that, you have to know that I am faithful to my promises. And so then our second thing is God's mission calls us to faithfulness. This is what God is calling Joshua to do. This is what God has called Moses to do, to be faithful. As God is faithful to his promises, so the call on Moses, Joshua, and all who would be God's people is to be faithful to the faithful promises of God. The call of a Christian is to be faithful to the ministry, mission, and message of Jesus Christ. We do this by following Jesus' teaching, serving Jesus' people, aiding Jesus' world, helping those Jesus would help, and working alongside Jesus in faithfulness to take up the name of Jesus Christ and to be Christ-like to the world. It's in the book of Acts in chapter 11, verse 26, which we're given this information that in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. That's a title we throw out very loosely a lot, and we, we check a box and say we're Christians, or we say I'm a Christian, but what does that title actually mean? If we look in the New Testament, the majority of the New Testament is written by an individual named the Apostle Paul, and it's written to groups of believers that were gathered in certain areas. And so you have the book of Romans. It's written to Roman believers in Rome. You have the book of Corinthians, 1st and 2nd. It's written to believers who lived and represented the area of Corinth or the city of Corinth. You have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all written to believers that were in an area, and that's what the area they represented. 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, again, an area. 
And so the understanding of scriptures, these titles of, of, that we have of books were titles of people looking in, living in areas, and that's what they represented. It's like what we would do today when we call ourselves Americans, is that we live in America, so we represent America. But we take the title of Christian, and we apply it to what it is to mean to us today. As Paul wrote to believers that represented a particular area in the world by where they lived, it's because they, they gave their allegiance to that. They represented that. When they went, they would say, I am from Corinth. I am from Ephesus. I am from the region of Galatia. So we take this understanding of titles, and now we apply it to the title of Christian, which most of us in here would call ourselves that. What it means is that we are faithful and we represent and we belong to Jesus Christ. That's what it is to be a Christian. It's not just to say I'm saved. It says that I am going out into this world which God created and I am faithful to the promises of God because he is faithful to them. I represent Jesus Christ to this world and that is now my attachment. This church in Antioch, they were called Christians by the way they walked, talked, and looked like Jesus. The people began to see them not as representing Antioch or a Gentile church, but they began to see that they were representing not a region or a government or a group of people, but they were representing the eternal God. It was not the church, by the way, that called themselves that. It was the outside world who had yet to meet Jesus Christ, who gave the believers that title. By the way they looked, their faithfulness to the ministry, message, and mission of Jesus Christ, that's how the world defined them. When we talk about our mission and heading to the promise and where Harvest Hill is going and where God is leading and where God is taking our families and, and us individually, we have to become faithful to God's faithfulness. That when people look at the way we live our lives and how we conduct ourselves, how we talk, how we react, and how we act, they would see that we don't just represent Stratford or Fairgrove or Greene County or Missouri or America. They would see we represent an internal kingdom. That's being faithful to the promise. Because we have a legend to follow. Joshua had to follow Moses. And you did that inscription in, in Scripture about yourself, that there's no one like him that met face to face. I mean, that's pretty big because that's an eternal word concerning Moses. But here's the thing. Moses was a sinner. He was a sinful man. We, as Christians, we follow Jesus, the perfect Son of God. And so we've got even bigger shoes to, to fill. We follow the one who became flesh and dwelt among us. So how do we do that? How do we as sinful people remain faithful to Jesus Christ so much that we are following in his footsteps and that's what the world sees? Well, again, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Notice the title that God gives him, this man of, 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 of attributes that no prophet since Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and wonders. And then the very next thing we read in the word of God is that Moses dies because he was a sinful man, but his title is that he was a servant of the Lord. See, Moses was not the way that God was going to give the promised land to Israel. Joshua was not the way in which God was going to give the promised land to Israel. 
God was going to do it, but what God was doing for Moses and Joshua and us today is God is inviting us in to his perfect promise, his perfect mission, which will come to fruition. And he's just saying, hey, why don't you join me on this? Because it's going to be a great ride. Israel's fate was not in the hands of Joshua, though the leadership had passed to him. And the gospel message, the message of salvation is not in our hands or power, but we've been commissioned like Moses and Joshua to be available, to be willing, willing and be faithful to it. Like Moses and Joshua, as we're going to see as we walk through this, people are not always going to respond the way we want them to respond or do what we want them to do. But that's not on us. Our calling is simply to be faithful to the faithful word of God. The third thing we see when it comes to the title of Moses is God's mission calls us to have a servant heart. God's mission calls us to have a servant heart. Moses was the individual he was, not because of what he thought of himself or even what he could do on his own power. If you remember, or you can read back, back into Exodus, Moses started as a very reluctant individual. He wanted to give God every excuse that he could come up with. But Moses allowed himself to be taken by God to impact the world in which Moses lived in. Joshua was now being invited into that sort of arena. Go back to Joshua chapter 1. It says, After the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Assistant. So Joshua's like his secretary, right? He, 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 he just kind of helps him out. The word assistant there means that he was a minister. But if you read through Joshua, which we're going to do over the next uh, several uh, months, Joshua chapter 24, verse 29, we find this. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord. See, God's mission calls us to have a servant heart. The servant, their title servant here implies the person to whom God issues his orders to and the person to whom God carries out his orders through. That's what we are as Christians. We are servants of Christ. And so God gives his orders to us and then he carries his orders through us. That's what it is. So to do that, I have to have a servant heart, which is what the scripture says that we are. The word servant here in the Old Testament is synonymous with the word that Paul uses in the New, which is doulos, which means slave. And we may not like that title slave because of the connotations that come with it. But Romans 6, 18 says, but thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin. That's who we were. But have become obedient from the heart of the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have now become slaves of righteousness. The word servant here and the word slave means that we have been purchased. And under the new covenant of Jesus Christ, we have been purchased by his blood, which means we belong to Jesus. We are to recognize that we are owned by Jesus and we are known by Jesus because we know him as our master. That is what it means when I say that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. He is my master 
And what Moses and Joshua understood and what made them great is they understood that they were not in charge. This was not their plan. This was not their mission. This was something out of their control. And the means of victory and the means of fulfilling what God had planned was simply that they become servant-hearted. I like how Daniel Block writes that Israel's fate was not in the hands of Moses. So many times we can think that it's all on us, but that's the fourth part of understanding God's mission as he takes us to promise, is that God's mission is not relying upon us. And I think all too often we think it is. We've got to fill our calendars. We've got to make ourselves busy bodies. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. Yeah, we're, we're supposed to be involved. Yes, we're supposed to be active. We're supposed to be doing stuff. <coughs> but we can begin to think that it's actually all about us and what we bring to the table. It wasn't about Joshua. You know what Joshua's resume was filled with? Slave, spy, occasional soldier, secretary. God said, hey, let's make you the leader. Moses, murderer, reluctant, Man full of excuses, man with a temper at times, sinful, just like us. And what did God say? Hey, let me use you for 40 years to change my people and to lead them to where I want them to do. It's not relying upon us, but it is relying that we have a servant heart. And the heart of a servant is revealed by their faithfulness to the guidance of their master. There's a guy named Ken, or John Kenneth Galbraith, and you may not know that name, but he was an economist in the 1900s, and so the president would call him frequently, as, as well as other politicians, and even some world leaders would call and ask for his advice on certain issues. One picture today, he comes home and he tells his housekeeper, whose name is Emily, that he's going to go lay down for a nap because he's really tired and he just needs to rest for a little bit. So as he goes into his quarters and, and finally lays down, sure enough, the phone rings within a few minutes. And he writes in his autobiography as he heard the phone ringing, he heard his housekeeper pick up and begin talking, but he didn't quite make out what she was saying. He eventually found out that it was the President Lyndon Johnson that was calling Lyndon Johnson, as, he, as the housekeeper Emily picked up the phone, he said, wake or get Ken Galbraith because this is Lyndon Johnson. To which the housekeeper responded, Mr. President, he said not to disturb him. The president was kind of baffled and said, well, wake him up. I'm the president. I want to talk to him. I need to talk to him. To which the housekeeper responded, no, Mr. President. I work for him and not you. When John eventually woke up. The housekeeper told him what happened, and sure enough, the president called back a little bit later, and this is what the president said. Tell that woman I want her here in the White House. See, what John's housekeeper understood, even though this man of authority called asking for her employer, her master at that time, is that she was loyal and is supposed to be obedient to one person. And it didn't matter what title they had. It didn't matter what thoughts they had. That her obedience was to her boss. And so when it comes to Christianity, this is where we are as a faithful servant in our obedience. 
It's not relying upon us, but as faithful servants, we have to understand it's not about what the world says. It's not about what the government says. It's not about what our friends at school say or do. It's not about our peers. It's not about political agendas. It's about what does God say. So the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 3 that whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Paul understood this when he wrote in Philippians chapter 3, I count everything as a loss of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. See, it's not relying upon us, but God does call us to have a servant heart because He invites us to be a part of His mission. And what is God's mission? That all people might know and come to a saving knowledge of Him. This is why we're here this morning. And I think we can miss that sometimes. My confession is I can miss that sometimes. We're here that we might come to a saving knowledge of God, maybe a deeper saving knowledge of God. We're here. We gather on Sunday mornings because this is a place where you can invite people that you care about to come and hear about the saving knowledge of God. That's why we gather on Sundays. This is why we do Wednesday Night Lives. And so many times we can get lost in all the chaos We can get so frustrated about, is anything even happening? We do Wednesday night lives, not for our benefit, but for the benefit of those kids and those students and those adults, that they may grow in a saving knowledge of God, that they may come into a relationship with Him. This is why in a couple weeks we're doing trunk or treat. It's not so we can give out candy and be like all the other cool churches in town. We do trunk or treat because we want kids and families to come through our parking lot so we can be an example of Christ so they might come to a saving knowledge of God. This is why Jason's doing Converge Weekend here in about a month. It's not so we can, oh, we did Disciple Now now, or we did our little thing we're supposed to do every year. That's not the point. The point is so these students can come to a saving knowledge of God. Bible study, small group, all of it is for this purpose that we get on God's mission that He wants every person to come to a saving knowledge of Him. That's what we do. But when we lose sight of this, we become exactly like the Israelites as Moses is leading to the promised land. And where did the Israelites want to go? I want to go back to Egypt. I want to go back to slavery. I want to go back there because it's comfortable there. As a church, we can, we're going we're gonna to get these points where it's going to be so easy just to go back to what we've done or what we know if we lose sight of focus. The reason we do all that we do is so that people would come to a saving knowledge of God. Love God, love people. And the beautiful thing about this is we don't have to be perfect We don't have to have all the right words. We don't even have to know what we're doing because we've got the Lord and He is our shepherd. God doesn't call you to be perfect or sinless or have it all figured out. He simply calls you and me to have a faithful servant heart and rely upon His faithfulness of His word. That's the invitation. It's to be a part of the promise that is going to come to fulfillment. So for us today as brothers and sisters, as children of God, here's the question we have to answer and we have to just ponder. Is the Word of God the authority over my life? Is this what I'm let guiding me? That doesn't mean 
Don't mishear the question. That doesn't mean you and I get it right all the time. Okay? Moses didn't. Joshua didn't. The Israelite people didn't. What it means is that I'm turning to the promise of God. Hear what the Lord says to Joshua in chapter 1, verse 7. It says, only be strong and very courageous. The same message she gave to Moses to give to Joshua. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded. What is he saying? He's saying, be strong and courageous. And the way you be strong and courageous is you be careful, you be diligent to do all of the word of God. You be faithful to my faithfulness. This way you will have good success wherever you go. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Here's this beautiful thing. A servant in Jesus' day and Joshua's day represented the master. And so the servant's heart, how obedient they were to the master, not only represented their heart, but it represented the master's house. And when a servant was sent out by the master, he, went in, he or she went in full authority of the master with that, whatever message they were to deliver. And if they didn't go out from the master, they were always with the master. As a servant of Jesus Christ, we did the best of both worlds. Because Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father promise us to never leave us or forsake us if we are God's children. We are servants of the King. On top of that, they're always with us, but then they commission us to go out in full authority of the God who spoke the heavens and the earth into being to speak on their behalf. And so our fear of what the world may think or what people may say when I bring up the name Jesus Christ who saved me from hell is absolutely ridiculous because this world is not my master. I serve the king because the king saved me. So I'm going to be faithful to him because he's faithful to me despite my unfaithfulness at times. going to be a servant and I understand that I may say the wrong word I may do the wrong thing at times but Mike Hurchin does not save people Harvest Hill does not save people Jason Goings does not save people our children's minister does not save people curriculum does not save people you know what saves people <coughs> the one who sits on his throne and he's invited us all, every single one of us, to be a part of his promise. Am I allowing this to be my guide? Am I being faithful to this promise? Do I have a servant heart? That's questions we have to ask ourselves as God is taking us to this next page. May I... God has been doing some awesome things the last couple of years, and some of you all know what God's been doing for the last eight years here at Harvest Hill. But we, I believe we're just on the bank of the Jordan. We're seeing the promise coming, but we're just on the bank. And God wants to take us to the promise to do things that we cannot even imagine.
but we've got to check our heart. You may be here this morning, and you're like, you know what, Pastor? It's all well and good, but I'm not even a Christian. I don't even know. Why in the world would I want to become a servant? Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to accept this invitation, be a part of God's promise? I believe the uh, unknowing theologian Bob Dylan said it best. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to what? Oh, y'all, I don't listen to that. I'm all Christian, all Christian. Yeah, you ain't going to stand somebody, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Thousands of years before Bob Dylan even wrote that little lyric, that's what the Apostle Paul wrote in the Word of God because God knows that. We're going to serve something in our life. Something is going to rule over us. Romans 6.22 says, Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and it's in eternal life. You may be here this morning, and you're, you're not saved. And so you don't know why you want to become a servant of God. The reality is you're either serving something that is leading to death, or you're serving something that's going to lead to life. If you are not saved, you're serving something that is killing you because it's giving you a false front. But now you sit in the presence of an almighty God who gives out his promise of eternal life, inviting you to become his child. And in turn, when you become his child, knowing that his presence dwells in you and with you forever. And he invites you to be a part of his eternal promise. Paul wrapped up this understanding that we're going to serve something in this life. With this verse that many of us have heard, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This morning, this is maybe where we need to be in understanding, is that God created all of us here to be in a relationship with Him. All of us. Like Moses, like Joshua, like Pastor Mike, all of us are sinners. And it is our sin that is separating us from God and is our sin and the lies of Satan that is causing us to serve something that is ultimately killing and destroying us. But God has brought us here this moment to reveal that He has paid that price for our sin in full. And the promise of God's Word that will never change is anyone and everyone who believes that God loves them that much, that He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for their sin, to take their punishment, but he rose again. Believe it in their heart and confess with their mouth they will be saved. And so you may be here this morning and have never accepted Jesus Christ and God is bringing you to be a part of his mission because he's inviting you to know his saving grace. I'm going to be down here and if that's you, I'm going to invite you to come down. You just have to say, Pastor Mike, I want, I want to be Jesus. I want to belong. I want, to, I want Jesus. I want to belong to Jesus. I want to be saved. Maybe you're here this morning and you know that you are a Christian, you are saved, but you also know you haven't really been faithful to the invitation that God is bringing us all to. I love how Joshua begins and how Joshua ends. Moses has died, the servant of the Lord. By the end of Joshua's Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord. 
as a child of God, someday I'm going to die. We all are. Maybe my inscription on the tombstone will be my Kirchin, husband, father, pastor, servant of the Lord. I pray that's what I'm known as. Maybe that's where we need to be this morning. Lord, help us to understand what it is to be a servant of yours. Now's the time to respond. Jackson's here to lead us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your, your word. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. You never change. You never fade. You never spoil. Lord, forgive us those times that we've turned to other things to find fulfillment, other things that we've placed our faith in. Father, I pray that you just continue to do the good work here in our hearts this morning, the good work in Harvest Hill, Lord. You just continue to transform us, Lord. Forgive us if we've lost sight of why we're here and bringing you glory. Well, I thank you that you're leading us to the promise. You're taking us there. You're our shepherd, our guide, our rock, our redeemer, our defender. Father, because we are weak, because we're sinful, we lose sight at times, Lord. Bring your water. Bring your manna. Give us the faith we need to do what you need us to do in this community, in this county, in this state, in this nation and world. Father, I pray for the individuals here this morning that don't know you as your Lord and Savior, and they know it. They know they're not saved. They know they don't have you in their heart. They know that you're not their Lord and Master know it not because of anything I said but because your spirit reveals that Father I pray that in this moment this time you would just not allow them to stay where they are but to walk down and let it be known they want to be saved myself and my brothers and sisters in Christ this morning Lord I pray that you just continue to transform us that we wouldn't conform to this world be transformed so when this community and the people around would look at Harvest Hill and look at us when we go out to our work and we with our, our spouses or in our relationships or at school in our classes and in the hallways people would look at us and they would say that's a Christian if I would come this time to respond not just worship you through song, but to worship you through action. In this moment, let us be doers of your word, not hearers. Forgive me if I've gotten in your way. I pray you just take it all away if I've said anything that is not what you've had planned. Praise all in the name of Jesus.